Hey, everybody, get ready for an informative episode from Parents' Rights in Education. I'm Suzanne Gallagher, and I'm looking forward to our time together. We stand and defend the fundamental rights of all parents to raise their children and firmly believe children belong to their families, not the state, not the teachers, the teachers' union, or any other bureaucrat. I invite you to visit our website, parentsrightsined.com. Sign up to receive our news alerts. Like our Facebook page. Join or form a Parents' Rights and Education affiliate chapter. Making your voice heard is always easier with others. Just grab a couple friends and you're there. We will help with training, information, branding, and contact referrals. Let's start a Facebook group for you. Submit the chapter inquiry form on our website, parentsrightsined.com. Hi, this is Suzanne Gallagher, and it's Parents' Rights Now. And we are going to start a series featuring social-emotional learning. This episode is titled, Introducing the Whole Child. While parents' rights in education and our parents have been in shock over the sexualization of children by public school educators, social-emotional learning slipped into place without much of a fanfare. No one seems to know or have an inkling of what it is. In a nutshell, social-emotional learning, SEL, is the latest educational fad teaching students to rely on themselves, their peers, and the progressive culture, not the truths proposed by their faith and their families. Progressive social norms become their moral authority. Parents' rights in education opposes the whole child concept, including character and ethics education, psychological insights, and group dynamics, training children in consequentialist moral reasoning. I want to take you on a walk through analysis of SEL, beginning with the history. The Pioneer Institute came out with a white paper in March of 2019. I will read it to you. This may take several podcast episodes, but I believe it is well worth your time. Please note, we have their document on our website, and we'll provide the link in our podcast notes. The paper analyzes the scientific research support for SEL claims and finds it much less persuasive than advertised. The paper further addresses the numerous problems in assessing SEL, problems that are acknowledged even by the experts and most dedicated proponents of the movement. And finally, the paper discusses the fundamental philosophical and ethical objections to having the government, through the public schools, delve into this realm at all. The current popularity of social-emotional learning, and we will call it SEL going forward, represents progressive education's greatest victory in its 100-plus-year campaign to transform our public schools and thus the nature of America itself. 
Since it began, the mission of progressive education has been to liberate American students from the, quote, shackles of traditional wisdom, unquote. John Dewey and his legion of educationalists saw the elementary and secondary schools as the vehicle to form the new American, one who would be liberated from the prejudices of family, church, and tradition. In the early 20th century, their ideological victories were largely symbolic. They captured intellectually shallow schools of education, but not the public schools themselves. Those schools were rooted in their communities reflecting local values and governed by local citizens. Post-World War II, the, quote, in loco parentis, quote, tradition of every school gave way to more and more control, first by states and more recently by federal intervention. Input from parents on what was to be learned and how schools were to be conducted gave way to ever larger educational commissions and more distant experts. Instead of parents deciding on the ultimate question of education, quote, what is most worth knowing, unquote, for our children, the new controllers of public education stepped in. Enter the progressive educators. The term public came to mean secular. The long-held view of the public schools not only teaching the core disciplines, but also helping children develop a sense of right and wrong, and the good habits to put morality into practice, became the battleground. The wisdom of the past, with its history of wars and bigotry, had to be ignored. Prohibited, too, was any reference to God and organized religion. The only source of moral authority for the secular progressives was and is science and, quote, empirically verifiable knowledge, unquote. The problem with this plan is that science and the empirical method do not lend themselves well to dealing with the questions of the moral life. The ultimate questions of life, which were once a staple of education, such as, what is a good person? How should I live my life? And is there a God? Cannot be answered by the scientific method. Thus, these questions and issues have been eradicated from our schools. In this barren educational landscape entered the pseudoscientific SEL and its claim that social-emotional learning can fill the gap in the lives of America's children. SEL advocates see teaching students their five competencies of self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making as the effective replacement for school's formal moral education and character formation. Committed as they are to development of the whole child, progressive educators are promoting these skills as a secular replacement for what parents used to instill in children according to their faith and to cultural and family beliefs and values. At its core, 
The skills of social-emotional learning aim to shift the center of moral decision-making from traditional wisdom and an awareness that we are children of God to the newly enlightened self. Prodded by progressive activists in courts, the schools have scrubbed all Judeo-Christian principles and values and replaced them with what? This vacuum, the self, becomes the arbiter of what is right and what is true. The question of how should I respond given a decision that has consequences on others is based on the self. A classic student question of whether to cheat on an exam comes down to understanding social norms among one's peers or what is in one's personal self-interest. In the competitive world where grades increasingly determine one's future, this is indeed thin gruel upon which to base an altruistic decision. While the five competencies may be attractive and appealing to students, giving them a sense of their own moral authority, are they adequate? The existing social norms of a child or teenager's world are hardly a moral guide. So, too, with one's emotions, which are notoriously unstable, in the young. SEL teaches the young the flattening message that they themselves are ready to guide their lives by inner feelings and to reject the thought that they have a lot to learn. College professors, themselves notorious for their moral relativism, frequently complain that students can rarely identify a bad person, having been taught a theory of no-fault history. Professors complain Students have been taught a doctrine of extreme moral individualism, of relativism and non-judgmentalism. When pressed to identify a bad person, they are at sea, falling back on glinched figures like Hitler or Nazi, perpetrators of the Holocaust, or more recently, traitors and madmen who shoot up schoolchildren. Morality that was once seen as inherited and shared is now understood as something that emerges in the privacy of one's own heart. Thus, American students are left afloat as individuals in a sea of moral relativism, each as his own essential moral unit. At its heart, Social-emotional learning reflects progressive education's romantic vision of the human person, that a child comes into the world good and must be protected from the corruption of his culture. On the other hand, throughout most of human history, parents have realized that children come into this world aware only of the self, trying with all their energy to make their way. As a wise parent stated, my essential job is to help my child escape from the great suck of self. Children need to learn how to live with others, to learn the rules of life. They need to be taught the habits of self-discipline and consideration of others. Operationally, that means being taught to be fully human, that is, an adult, a good person, a good parent, a good citizen. 
Until recently, our public schools were willing and essential partners with parents in this task. SEL represents a dramatic departure from the traditional role of schools to build upon and deepen the American home's ethical and moral training. The government-sponsored schools of colonial America were brought into being for the express purpose of providing children with the largely religion-based morality they needed to save their souls and live together in community. Our founding fathers, well aware of frail human nature, knew that their noble experiment of democratic government would flounder without a moral citizenry. Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States, was convinced establishing schools should be a priority for the new nation. The primary drafter of the Declaration of Independence urged the wide establishment of schools, quote, to raise men up to the high moral responsibility required of a democracy, unquote. He saw the role of schooling as imbuing men with the knowledge and civic virtue necessary for self-government. Until recently, moral education has been a major priority in American public education. Resting on a generic Judeo-Christian religion code, parents and educators had generally been comfortable with the schools promoting and reinforcing this morality. Teachers were expected to not only convey skills and knowledge, but to be moral educators. They were expected to be moral exemplars, clear about right and wrong, and upholding basic ethical standards. With the new secularism of recent years, the word moral, with its religious undertones, has fallen sharply out of fashion. Public school teachers still aware of the need to shepherd students into moral maturity, dropped the term moral education and replaced it with character education. The dictionary offers character as the complex of the mental and ethical traits and markings often individualizing a person, group, or nation. Another definition states that our character is the sum total of our unique cluster of virtues and vices. Thus, character education seemed to fit the school's more secular mandate, focusing as it does on the virtues that support life in a democratic society and culture. Character, coming from a Greek word to engrave, as to make enduring marks on a stone, or a human soul, fit more comfortably in the new secular environment of public education. Nevertheless, the word and its education mandate have old roots. In 6th century BC, Confucius is said to have captured both the meaning and the process of character formation or education in a short poem. Sow a thought, reap an action, Sow an action. Reap a habit. Sow a habit. Reap a character. Sow a character. Reap a destiny. Classically understood, character then is about habits 
our dispositions to act in certain ways and to affect our actual behavior. To focus on character education is to actively teach these habits or virtues that lead to a flourishing life and nurturing culture. It acknowledges not only good habits, such as fairness and responsibility, but bad habits, such as selfishness and dishonesty. In recent years, however, even this religiously neutral approach to education has been too much for many public school educators. Fears of imposing one's views and values on students have neutered many public school administrators and teachers. Having enforced the idea that schools be religion-free zones, they have left moral teaching to parents and an increasingly powerful media culture. Into our current moral vacuum slithers the antithesis of moral and character education, the vacuous social-emotional learning. The recent success of progressive educators to replace moral and character education with social-emotional education may indeed turn out to be a pyrrhic victory. While Americans' religious affiliation has weakened in recent years, religion is still a strong element in our national life. Not long ago, a former president ruefully acknowledged this fact with a much-criticized comment about some Americans bitterly clinging to their, quote, guns and religion, unquote. Nevertheless, to turn our schools into instruments that separate children from their parents' religion and replace it with atheist, self-focused morality raises questions about the future of public education itself. As cited above, our country pioneered in establishing government-sponsored schools supported by the taxes of citizens. The idea of the secular states adding the education of the young to its normal portfolio of national defense, protection of borders, and regulating commerce has been largely accepted by our citizens. But historically, the concept of a government educating its citizens in morality has raised serious philosophical questions. Specifically, is there a fundamental difference between the states supplying the financial and material needs of schools and actually specifying and delivering a program of study? Is it wise for state authorities to decide what a child does and does not come to know about the world? In his 1859 essay on liberty, John Stuart Mill, the great apostle of liberty, maintained that education was simply too important to be left to the government. Further, he sharply questioned the reach and extent of the state's involvement. Mill wrote, The objections which are urged with reason against state education do not apply to the enforcement of education by the state, but to the state's taking upon itself to direct that education, which is a totally different thing that the whole or any large part of the education of people should be in state hands, I go as far as anyone in deprecating. Specifically, as is the current trend in American public schools for the state to be answering the question, quote, what is most worth knowing, unquote, particularly in the moral domain, is a hazard. 
It is a hazard to the state school system and a hazard to the loyalty of its citizens. An educational system that answers a child's question of, quote, why be good, unquote, with little more than enlightened self-interest imperils the child, the educational system, and the sponsoring state itself. We'll take this up again in part two of social-emotional learning. I'm Suzanne Gallagher, and this is Parents' Rights Now. Please forward this to your friends. Do you know any parents who don't have any time to read lengthy emails? That's what the podcast is for. You have complete control over your access to this information. And you can share it. Share, share, share. Please send it to your friends and invite them to subscribe to Parents' Rights Now. Don't forget to register for the Northwest Safe School Summit featuring Walt Heyer, Heidi St. John, Bernadette Broyles Esquire, and Rebecca Friedrichs. Check out events on our website. Parents' Rights in Education is a tax-deductible, non-profit organization. We rely solely on your contributions. Help stop sexualization of our students in public schools. Together, we can do this. See you next time to learn more about parents' rights now.